0: Kenny Gladder back at it here with Ollie and Zach following a qualifying final loss by Geelong to the hands of Port Adelaide and reviewing upcoming semi-final against the
1: Pies. How are we going, guys? Thanks, Ro. I need to talk about tonight.
0: First on the agenda is the the obvious one being um, Man United's... Uh, 6-1 loss, um, <laughs> clip side, Everton are killing it, um, LeBron's about to win a championship, um, oh, Cam Newton's tested positive for coronavirus there, what else we got in the agenda here today guys? Um, <laughs> front page of the Addy, after the Geelong Cats game, here we go again, same old story for Geelong Cats. Josh Barnes' headline read, Whiskers Singed in Heat. Against Port Adelaide, as simple a loss as tackles, pressure and missed set shots that created that loss there, Zach. Thanks, Ray. Look, just
2: a pretty disappointing game and I think what was the most concerning for me, apart from the obvious things, was just, I think a few players just seemed to look out of their depth a bit and I think the pressure seemed to really get to them. And And these are some players who are normally pretty pretty cool customers, cool as a cucumber, people like Mark O'Connor, who's had a solid year, he's on the ball for a little bit too long at times. I think Collar Jasney made a few mistakes as well. Cam Guthrie had a few clangers. So for me, that was a little bit concerning, particularly from some of the, More experienced ones like Guthrie, even Mitch Duncan had a few off moments as well. So we've we've got a few things to worry about.
0: In terms of the team stats, when you look at it, it was nine goals for 58 for Port Adelaide. The Cats went five goals, 12, so many missed set shots, 42. So a 16-point win for the power there. Not massive, and we were in sights in that fourth quarter. We'll talk about some moments in the fourth quarter, maybe a little bit later on. The disposals count went in the Cats' favour. Inside 50s ended up even. Efficiency went in the hands of Port Adelaide. hit went to the Cats, which I want to talk to you, Zach, a little bit about. Clearances went to Port Adelaide. The contested ball, the Cats won, surprisingly. Uncontested, the Cats Turnovers, uh, yep, Port there. 1% is the Cats, but the big three here, I think, tackles, Port Adelaide. Accuracy in front of goal, Port Adelaide. And pressure, Port Adelaide. A game where, especially in the second half, after it was 26 to 25 in Port's favour, a one-point deficit to the Cats at half time, The second half was just held at, Geelong's half-back to full-back region and couldn't get it out at all. No real solid inside or rebound 50s at all. Seemed to be just pressure, pressure, pressure. And the likes of, as you said, Zach, Mark O'Connor and some reliable people this season in the hoops really struggled under pressure to get it out at all. Albeit maybe aside from Lucky Henderson, who's continued on from his Fantastic season after being delisted and then re-recruited again. And Jed Buse putting that grit and grunt in just to get the ball forward and up. (coughs) did a few times as well. Apart from those three, and maybe if you want to chuck in danger because of his, I guess, effort count, disposal count. But then again, he went at 59% disposal efficiency. So you can raise argues for and against. Gaz, I'm giving a, a, a license for this game purely because it wasn't up at our, our forward line. So there's no real opportunities for the, the, the clinical inside forward finishes or the link up play with Hawkins there too much. Mm. Mm. Thoughts there, is it as simple as tackles, pressure? Well, tackles and pressure are almost one and the same and misset shots, or is there more to this game that? We didn't expect when we last played them. We won by ten goals.
1: Oh well, there's there's different aspects to it. I think in in what you were saying in regards to not being able to break through uh, the the wall that what Adelaide had set up in the middle of the ground, you know, and, and and getting the repeat entries. I guess the only way the only way we were able to break through was. Uh, Getting it over the back somehow, and then having Danger be an absolute speed demon and just you know tearing away from, from the others, and uh, having the composure to finish. That was that was I uh, pretty much the uh, single highlight for Geelong for much of the game. Um, this didn't take the opportunities that we had when we were on top, you could argue, in the first half. Uh, and a few rushed decisions when it came to the set shots. In particular, Hawkins snapping around the corner when he was no less than 30 metres out. And also missing from a close-range shot as well, which is surprising, Um Although, well, you could say he probably ought to have gotten maybe three, at most four of the shots he took. A couple of them were tough as they were out on the boundary line, and, and you know, that's kind of a 50-50 as it is. Um, so you can kind of accept that, but there were other aspects in, in the game. Uh, few clangers, few instances of a lack of awareness were pretty uh, telling so yeah we weren't that bad and we were close enough to be within touching distance at times but the pressure in the end did, did tell and the home crowd got involved which is annoying uh what was it i think the uh the stats of the crowd 25,000 Port fans, and maybe only like a few hundred Geelong fans at the ground.
0: Well, deservedly um, so, because they finished first in the ladder. Oh, well, absolutely, absolutely. So, if we want yeah. to raise a home argument point, then we'd be saying the same thing. So,
1: it's frustrating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's just—it's—it is just frustrating yeah. to just yeah not take the crowd out of the game. That's all. That's all. You know, that's all you really hope for as an as an away. just to quiet the crowd as quickly as possible um, and kind of take control of the game. But that didn't happen. We never really had a great element of control aside from patches in that first half.
0: Strange one, because the last couple of seasons, Port Adelaide have been seen to be almost a a where-are-they-at club until this season. Rocky was going down... Almost the same kind of lines um, as a, a Bryce Gibbs, if you like. He seemed to be not fitting in at Port Adelaide from his time at Brisbane where it was a, you couldn't take him out of there at all. And didn't really have a spot. Is he used as a sole tagger? Is he not? Does Sam Pell-Pepper or other players potentially displace that? That's been changed this season. They have a really strong, good midfield core of Rocky, Boak, Wines, SPP, along with others there. And they've got a mix of kind of Brad Ebert playing that Scott Selwood role we saw a few seasons ago at half forward, just putting pressure on and trying to kick goal. Robbie Gray floats into the midfield at times. So we knew what we were up against, but... the strange thing for me Zach when I um, just whilst I give the the bat on to you to talk about maybe some individual performances that were lackluster or that were good or good, bad or ugly was that it was kind of sold as again chaos versus control. I think as every single draw on game is going to be sold this season just because yeah we we like to hold the ball. When you look at the disposal stats, whether they be uncontested or contested, there's longer up there. So it it was interesting to see Port Adelaide actually just sit back at half back and move the ball around at times and switch it laterally and not have a huge rush to go inside our forward line when they had marked the ball and other times when they did go, then it was just a, a high pressure rush. So I think it's one that's we got saved by one percenters back in defence. You look at set shots aside, the pressure game and the tackle game was just so one-sided that we deserved to lose that. And I think sixteen points, I think it maybe is a consolation, maybe mm. soaks up some of the the cracks that were really exposed there. It was strange actually seeing some of our goals. You mentioned the danger goal before, which was the kick over the wall. And we've seen previously that when Brisbane or West Coast come to play at Kidding Park, or we've played them, that's our game. Our game is the wall. Get it past yep. that. We'll chip it yep. around. Um, we'll go down the line at Kidding Park. Um will, yeah, like to use the slow methodical approach. And at times, previously, it's been Liam Ryan at West Coast or Charlie Cameron or Rayner at Brisbane that have actually exploited us going over the top. Yeah. Um, And that's when our pace and speed's been really, or defensive pace and speed has been really exposed. So it was really strange to see Port Adelaide almost using some of Geelong's tactics then again Ken Hinkley' previously worked at at the cats and has some crucial Geelong ties there. So if there's any coach that's going to expose some of Geelong's long-term tactics it probably is, is Ken Hinkley Zach any any other comments there regarding the the match tactics display of the game? was it simply a, there's a lot of comments that this was one on the coach's table from the selection point of view. We we discussed Sav and and Stephen beforehand. You, you can make it an argument that it had, it would have held Blitz more accountable down back, but then again, I don't think we conceded conceded that much down back for the portions of the game that we were held down back. Any any further kind of tactical or match analysis there that that you got out of it before? I'll lead you into the individual performances. Yeah,
2: look, I just um, I think for me the one thing that we really lacked was pace. Now, a player for us that wears number six would have provided that in Spades, Jordan Clark. I think he should have been in consideration to play. Yeah, big call throwing him in to finals debut, but he's gonna have, he's gonna, it's gonna happen sometime another, I think he would have fitted that mould pretty well. Even Quinton Narkel, he can play an outside role. He's got a bit of pace. So I really hope to hear at least one or both of those two names up in selection this week as well. Um, Look, I'm I'm concerned in a sense that it's getting a bit harder to sort of find out what our... Not, not what our identity is, but what our game style is. I mean, at times it can change so quickly and it seems to be a bit all over the place. We don't want to be one of these teams that just, yeah, you know, that doesn't really go with the flow, just sort of ums and rs and swaps and changes. So, yeah, I've got a few, quite a few concerns about what's happening up in Coach's boxhole. So.
1: Yeah, well, uh, we had, we I think we exchanged messages back and forth um in regards to some of the tactical or game plan type uh decisions that, that seem to be made and, and it's been done to death that um these questions have been asked of uh of the game plan or the fact does uh does Chris Scott have the plan B and and if plan A doesn't work or if plan B doesn't work how do you, how do you rectify that or how do you make changes and yes while there may be issues with the game plan obviously he's not the one that's out there kicking for goal and missing 12 set shots or or conceding Um, as as much as we were throughout the game to Port Adelaide who were quite dominant Various uh, late stages in the game. Yeah, yeah. that's true. But he's the one
2: spinning the magnets. He's the one delivering the messages at all the breaks as well.
1: Yeah. Oh. So without a doubt, yeah. Some of it does have to go go to him, in the sense that it's interesting. Yeah. What is he lacking in terms of being able to fire the players up, or kind of, you know, get them get them up and about I mean in previous years we've been concerned or coming and ah-ring over the starts and wanting that to be a, an area of the game that we pick up on um, which we actually managed to do in the in the more recent game it was, it was a decent start and we were in the game for, for large portions of it in the in the first half but after half, half time, but again, but I mean, this this isn't a one-off problem. I mean, this
2: has been happening since twenty twelve, and that Fremantle final, we were never in that game after quarter time. And I mean, what happens in that? What's happened over that? I guess eight to ten year period. I mean, players are players have been turned over. It's so even my little bub screaming and agony talking about this. <laughs> Players are being turned over. The coaching roster's been turned over. The fitness people have been turned over. Even, and it's the same problem that's recurring. Well, who's the one person that hasn't been turned over in that time? The coach.
1: Yes. and uh, I, I know it's a, I know it's a totally circumstantial argument. But like, if Geelong happen to nail their set shots in that game, we're likely to win that game. But the next time that we lose it's possibly or more than likely because of the game style um it, it seems like we don't necessarily ever get absolutely blown out of the water by teams it's the lack of our um ability to play quickly or to to flick the switch that um means that we often run out of time we're often we might be chasing a game, and we'll be coming back, but we'll run out of time to to make up the the margin. And who um, decides when we flick the switch? Al? And I'll. Th- yeah, and and oh, that was going to be the next point. That was going to be the next point. The, the, uh, the point of um, how quickly does it happen, and when does it happen, and when we flick the switch, it's often too late after the fact. Like we. You were making a point prior to recording tonight that uh, you're going to bring up the fact that Field was sitting deep forward at a crucial part in the game when ideally you would have had him in the middle of the ground. Two two consecutive centre clearances were down by seven points or something within a goal. If we win the next couple of centre clearances and get a chance, we hit the front and we could win the game. Um, But, you know, two centre clearances they get and take it up the other end and score. And then once they're in front and once they're comfortable, then he brings Dangerfield into the the midfield. And the game's already done. I think you're referencing
0: the the fourth quarter there when we came and made a push back. And Tom Atkins, and I think it may have been... Dowerhouse um, and Duncan, I, I believe. Or Dowerhouse, but definitely Tom Atkins in it. Um, not not our, our go-to starting centre bounce yeah. players there for two set, crucial centre clearances, which is easily won by likes of Wines. Yep. Yeah, I think you're referencing that there. But aside from that, okay, I'll accept that. There's two centre clearances there in the second quarter. I'll accept that. The clubs are obviously showing faith in those players to put it on and faith in those players to play in the centre. It's partly why I really love Tom Aitken's game because you can chuck him in the centre as a bit of a bull. Um, Maybe not in the clutch. Maybe provide that for danger or for Cam Guthrie. But, all right, there's a lot of Chris Scott talk here. When it came to the selection table, I'm not talking about on the panel here. I'm talking about the general sentiment when it's quiet amongst Geelong fans, then it's good. It's generally good. The general sentiment when teams came out and the ins were made in Ablet, the changes that were out, very quiet. Geelong fans are seemingly very happy after Geelong fans are uh, a lot of those anti-Scott people have issues with the Sava Radagalea. Um, a lot of those people, yeah, ha- have issues with... And now after the match, Jake collor jazny's copying a huge lot of flack. Harry Taylor's copying a huge load of flack for being too slow. And I'm thinking to myself, well, it's frustrating that Stephen Motlop and ex-Cat kicked three goals against us. Yeah. Was Harry Taylor responsible for those goals? I can only really remember one, and he kept Dixon to one goal, wasn't it? One goal, yep. Yep. and that goal was through a free kick. Yep. wasn't through a contested yep. mark or Dixon free on the lead. It was a free kick. Yep. Yeah. So, anyhow, that's a few players there. So, aside from, I'll accept that the bounce there. What are we attacking aside, aside from the those two centre clearances? What are and the obvious thing being an L as opposed to a win in a qualifying final? What's what what are we attacking Chris Scott over in, in terms of the in game here or the out game when it comes to selection? I, I I'm sorry I'm a bit I'm a bit lost because from me it's you're referencing 2012 and the game was completely different there if you said chaos v control where it's referenced to every single day now in sport pages or footy media that was never heard of then yeah if you richmond, said that in
1: 2012 it wouldn't be relevant R- richmond
0: didn't even have a dynasty they didn't have uh, western bulldogs richmond port adelaide How cl- how top the team's top eight to make the top eight the certain way you have to play didn't exist back then it was the more every team had a more methodical slower way of playing able to play bigs as you reference in the the, the Adley days if you like uh it yeah. was a complete different form of yeah Aussie rules AFL completely yeah. different Sydney, completely different game Sydney, altogether. so I, Sydney I don't, and
1: Hawthorne were the with the two big teams
0: yeah I, I, I don't accept the the comparison for 2012 Now, the uh, the argument, the counter-argument that I'm probably likely to hear is the the record, the finals record, and the amount of games that we have played finals, the amount of chances, etc. And I think in the press conference afterwards, there was a simple answer is, well, would you rather make finals and play those games and lose them, or would you rather not? Would you rather be in a space where North Melbourne are, where Adelaide are entering are, where Melbourne have been for the best part of decades and decades, where Carlton have been for decades and decades, where Gold Coast look like they still will be for another year or two. It's a very hard route to get out of Fremantle, another club there. We can name clubs on clubs.
1: Hmm.
0: I think the... Uh... I, I, I just see this as a strange one. So, a two-part question there. What are we assessing? If you talk about Scott, then are you assessing the loss, that, the burn the witch kind of mentality that it has to fall on one person or the ongoing chances being 10 years now and you've taken one premiership and burn the witch has to go or the in-game? And if so, aside from those two centre clearances, what else in the in-game? You're about to, yeah, it's going to be a bit of a two-on-one
2: here. Look, my, look, I know there's a lot of people out there that aren't a huge Chris Scott fan. I'm willing to put up my hand and said that I'm not. I've gone on record as a number of times. I would have picked Kent Hinkley for the job in the first place. But for me, my, my issues with Chris Scott have really been, since he started, it's been a slow burn for me that this is not on the back of one, off, um, off one bad loss like that. But I think the issue, some of the issues I've had, I think, our side that lost to Port Adelaide was very similar on paper to the one it was that beat Port Adelaide. Now, on the one hand, you can say, well, yeah, it worked. Why not do it again? And you can make a very recent comparison to, oh, what year was it, 20? I think I'm pretty sure it was 2017 that year when Harry Taylor had an absolute blinder down at Geelong and just tore Alex Rance to shred. Now, we went to that same qualifying final. Couldn't believe Harry Taylor was starting forward. Now, again, you can say, well, it worked. Let's do it again. But then on the flip side, which I favour, you say, well, they know what you're going to do. They're going to assume you're doing that again. You have to do something different. And we did the same in that match, and it didn't work. We did the same here. And it didn't work. So these are the sort of recurring things that are happening over a number of years. And it's the same the same thing in the home and away. A lot of people call him home and away Chris during the home and away season. It works. I think, I think the fact that it's a final is nearly irrelevant. But next time you play them again, you've got to change something because they've got a pretty good idea. They know how you've beaten them last time. They're going to have planned for it accordingly. You've got to do something different. Now, whether Sab would have been the difference in the game, probably not. Probably not, let's face it, but you would have had somewhat of a better chance, surely, because it was something different. Maybe even if it wasn't Jenkins, probably even less likely as well. So just to go on absolute record, I'm not saying we should sack Chris Scott tomorrow. I'm not a fan of him, but I think at the end of the year, maybe we do need to look at his position a little bit more because at the end of the day, any coach that comes into any side, even... Even when Reeshaw would have come into North Melbourne, his ultimate goal as a coach, whenever that would be, probably a hundred years for North, given the predicament they're in. is To win a premiership. It's like in any job, if you don't meet your prerequisites, you don't meet your KPIs, you moved on eventually.
0: No, I, 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 I accept the point. I'm not. I'm not a. I guess I. I, I don't put myself into the position of being a. a a fan or an anti-fan, I kind of just like to view games individually or years individually. So that's why when it, I just heard 2012, that pricked my ears up then. Oh, of course. Of course. Um, but, uh, that sad argument you raised there, completely agree. Because on last podcast, it, when it came to us uh, speculating and wishing what we would do at the selection table, I'm on record saying that I think Sav would be great because he'd provide extra accountability down back with Clurie and Jonas. Mm -hmm. So I completely agree with that point there. Um, And it's a huge frustration, the running theme. I guess the side that I'm coming from is probably more to do with the year itself and the Geelong Football Club. Um, to have finished in top four again in one, in
1: yeah,
0: let's face it, the strangest year of AFL that any of us have seen in our lifetimes where there's been no games in Victoria at all. We haven't seen any football, AFL football this year. We've been lucky to see AFL W early in the season, early in the year. But... We've been consistently been playing at opposition's home grounds, still managed to make top four. And if you go back and go back, this is also an ongoing theme. When it comes to the Kaji Greaves and it comes to the president's speech, Colin Carter, and echoed also by Brian Cook, regarding from a financial position that Geelong can't afford to break even. So they can't afford to do an Adelaide if you want, meaning reach a grand final a few years ago, it didn't work out. And now they're having to go through the whole rebuild stage where all young players come in. It can be echoed by numerous of clubs and Geelong have stated year after year that they need finals footy financially to sustain where the club is going out. To even and they're only even just I'm talking before twenty twenty. This is twenty nineteen previously that the club was only just breaking even. So I think it's a from a a Geelong football club perspective, as opposed to Geelong Cats, if you want to separate those two, if you like, and take a more holistic approach, it's a fantastic job to, to have finals every single year. And if not finals, then it's mostly been top four finals every year and be in with the chance. And... If I can use OKC as a metaphor, I don't know how many basketball fans are out there this year, and um, I've seen that. That, in the words of of Chris Paul, "You said we got a chance. All we want is a chance. So we still have a chance. The semi final upcoming in the weirdest, most unprecedented year of the sports industry, let alone the AFL." the sports industry globally, and we've still managed. So I, I tried to set the tone early a podcast ago with some points I was raising because I was ready, realistic enough that against the likes of Port Adelaide, against the likes of Brisbane, against the likes of Richmond, we're probably fourth, fifth down the down the track there and we're not likely to win a premiership. But it seems to me that Geelong fans, a win isn't a win. A win is only if there's a premiership. And I just don't understand how from since 2004 to 2020, when you've had 16 years of good quality football, that there's no kind of step back appreciation. Of what yeah. you're able to watch, I guess. For instance, yep. this this coming Saturday, there's a good chance that a certain player and his name will never see never never step foot on an AFL ground ever ever again. Gary Ablett, the longstanding name. Through generations. Mm. I think that's amazing. In a year of twenty twenty. Weird uncertainty, COVID nineteen, the sports industry as a whole. This remember, this season wasn't even meant to happen. After round one, it was meant to be a write off, and then if it wasn't meant to be a write off, it was meant to have a massive asterisk next to it, supposedly.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And yet, we've still got the ability to see Gaz perform. So uh, no, I know I'm relatively happy just with this season as a whole and how it hasn't affected the football club, that aside to Geelong Cats, if you're able to separate those two, the ambitions. Yes, we want a winning premiership. Yes, those 22 players in the field, they're vying for one thing, a premiership. Yes, for the calibre that we have, we're vying we want a premiership. Yes, as a coach, assistant coach, you are vying for a premiership. So I agree with you there, Zach, completely. But I just think it, a lot of the comments, I'm not referencing, I'm not speaking about either of you here. Mm-hmm. Just some of the comments, I guess, that you see online are very reactionary. Um, and and that's why I thought in relation to Harry Taylor is too slow or didn't you keep Dixon to one goal that was a free. Um so and, and some of the players that didn't have great games, not being under maybe more scrutiny than they were, such as my favourite player this whole season, Mike O'Connor, They're not looking like himself. So it's a strange one. Even Joel Selwood, when he come in and perform like that against Ollie Wines and Travis Spoke, you're not up for the goods. You've got to play better. Cam Guthrie, before Selwood came in, that system of Cam Guthrie, Mitch Duncan, Meningola was working better for me until Selwood came in because we saw last year that Selwood doesn't work on the wing. So where do you put him then? Do you put him back in the centre and then do you switch Guthrie up on the wing? Guthrie's too good. He's an All-Australian now, apparently. So, yeah, yeah, it it does go into selections. It does go into magnets. So I I completely take your your points there, Zach. I think too long a tenure, and I completely, wholeheartedly agree with you when you were um, mentioning the likes of a Savard, a and selection
1: talk there. Um, yep. Yeah. Oh. One, one final point I wanted to make, uh, just on that whole uh, that whole idea of the, the holding together the football club, and and um, you know trying to constantly uh, break even or remain in finals and re- remain in contention, I would think that it's rather self-evident that you can't hold back the night forever when it comes to your recruiting. So the idea of pop-up players constantly is potentially something that we're going to have to reconsider. Um at some at some point. We're going to have to go to the draft because... Can you, oh, oh, can you, we'll,
3: we'll, we'll
2: talk can you about seriously,
1: this later. Yeah, can you seriously justify constantly topping up the team with the latest free agents or, you know, these sorts of things? We're, um, we're, we're going
2: to talk about this Is there a life. risk
1: of becoming North Melbourne and falling we're, off the cliff when you don't have any youngsters?
2: We... We'll talk about that later, but we're not going to get, you know, Alistair Clarkson syndrome where you never want to rebuild. You just want to constantly top up, top up, top up. We can't go down that road. I told you during the week, and I'll say it again later on, we're never going to have such a plentiful round of picks as we have. As it stands, we're going to have 11, 13, and 16. We're not going to have that again for quite a while, given that the odds are we're going to be in the eight or just out of the eight most years. We need to yep. use this we need to use this opportunity. So for me, we'll we'll touch base on this later on probably. For me, the only acceptable scenario is to use at least two or three of those picks to go to the draft and get the kids in.
1: Yep.
3: 24, wake up early excited dressing our colours united we up to the G see the cats away to the station and on to the special that jolly Monte light and electrical vibe march side by side my dad Bounce till a final gong. on the cats come on, Geelong. Kick it straight and mark it strong. Go cats! We are Geelong. Dawn till dark and dark till dawn. Twenty twenty wake up still excited Dressed in our colors despite we're alone, cheering from home each week away. And turn up the good of being champion work in the garden till grandstand is on. I'm proud to be my father. First bounce to the final gong On the cats, come on Geelong Take it straight and mark it strong Go cats, we are Geelong Dawn till dark and dark till dawn Fly the flag and carry on Cause it's dawn till dawn
0: to TV series again, the Barrett Gong song. so a little intermission song there. The last point you raised there all being the, the draft picks. But before we go into that, Zach, I just want to give you a little writer reply or, or counterclaim, if you like. I, I think I talked a, a little bit getting my points across there. So, yeah, let's hear it back. Um, <laughs> by all means, am I... No, not an a, a, a anti-Scott, by all means am I no pro-Scott. Um, and the only question I want to ask in addition, just to the right reply or counterclaim to your points, would be when does one pull the trigger? Is it at the end of this season if you don't make the grand final or finals? Or is it next season, time's up? So I'll, um, I'll let you have your rather reply first off to to, my, <laughs> to the points I've raised, and then. Nah, nah, and um, look, every everyone's entitled their opinion, but I think we've had a
2: a good debate tonight, and hopefully that's what our listeners want to hear as well. A bit of debate, with a bit of fire, that's okay. Um, like I said, look, look, I would say I'm an anti-Scott person, but like I said, my mine's been built up over a period of time. I'm not the sort of supporter that's just gonna say we should sack him on the base of one losing final i think that's pretty silly and irrational you know you saw people on social media saying you know how could dangerfield be an aa captain he had a shocking game you know please harry taylor you know he should be dropped oh why is he still playing go back and watch the 09 grand final that he nearly won for us by you know toweling up nick Rewald on the day he's been a champion for the club so um if you were going to pull the trigger, very hard to say. Supposedly, he's very, very well supported at board level. I couldn't do it this year with COVID, given the financial implications that it have with a payout as well. I think his current deal runs through to 2022, I think it is, till the end of 2022. So I'd imagine with COVID and the fallout from that, they'd be more inclined to wait purely on a financial, financial basis. Um, I can't see anything really happening before then. But you know, as harsh as it may as it may sound, I'm sure there would be plenty of listeners who say, well, we should be grateful for the success. And don't get me wrong, I'm extremely grateful. As you said, since two thousand and four we've we've been extremely fortunate with the success that we've had. But, you know, I think he'd be wanting to at least make finals and hopefully win a few more qualifying prelink finals and hopefully a grand final in that time showing some sort of, I guess, improvement, trying to buck these trends we have of of losing um, qualifying finals. But in saying that, I, I'm not too fussed about looking into the the record too much because I think you make a good point. Each season's different and the, the game style's different and players evolve and the game evolves. So we will, we will wait and see what happens with him. And lastly, and I think you also have to consider who else is available. If there's no one better available. Well, there's no benefit at all in sacking the coach. There's no one better available in the market as well.
1: Yeah, And there's obviously quite a fair yeah. bit of risk associated with uh, sacking someone. Oh, Sorry. Well. It's
0: it's fair to say, though, that most or the, the the loudest, I guess, Geelong fans and I think that was pointed out in the, was it the 2019 or was it the 2018 poll? One of those polls had, um, I think, Cats fans at least in the 60s or low 70s against Chris Scott as a coach. So I think it's pretty fair to say that either the loudest or those on social media where those polls are released, um, the majority probably wouldn't want... Scott as a, a long-term or ongoing
1: coach is that fair well i mean the the numbers would would speak for themselves but it depends on you know who's going to believe polls um when a i mean election day <laughs> yeah you only, you only have to you only have to look at um you know various polls over the last uh few election cycles across the world um, to to know the validity of polls is um, up in the air. But, um, look, I think that to to, to a degree most fans would be grateful, but there would be a brewing um, or bubbling up of um, of some frustration. And I think uh, off air we were making the point that it's not necessarily anger or annoyance at one um particular instance of, of not making a, a decision to put a star player in the midfield at a crucial time in the game. It's not just one instance of that. It's just a bubbling up of frustration that the same thing happens and it's a recurring trend. And as Zach mentioned, um I I would think that Chris Scott would be as desperate as anybody to try to try and um restore some pride to a degree and buck the trend and uh stop this this thing that somehow has uh, seeped into the way that we play during finals and has made it has made us very uh predictable or mm-hmm has made our our um results seemingly rather predictable because i mean, you could you could predict you could predict that we'll win against the pies and lose the prelim it's happened before well, Who, who's to say it won't happen again but i i think some one one thing in chris scott's
2: defence in that it's a bit like uh, I can't remember his name, but the former Everton manager who replaced Alex Ferguson at Man United. David <laughs> Moyes. Yeah, Moyes, yeah. Moise, yeah. yeah. Daniel, uh, a bit like when uh, Matthew Knight went Moise. into Weston and replaced Kevin Sheedy because he, he was replacing a coach who, having spoken to two former players some years ago, who were just completely in awe of what Mark Thompson did. You know, three grand finals, won two of them. But just everyone, a bit quite similar to Mick Malthouse from what you hear, and that the players just absolutely adored him. were just back him in and I was on open mic when they interviewed Matthew Scarlett who said in that 2006 review when they were reportedly quite close to sacking him there was rumours you know half the players were going to walk out the door because that's how much they admired him so he's come in and had very very big shoes to fill I think in terms of who he's following you do need to put that in perspective to some degree I think a lot like Alex Ferguson at Man United a lot like Kevin Sheedy and you know, Matthew Knights, I mean, could he be a, a good coaching appointment, not just for Geelong and another club? I mean, nearly had Mission Impossible. No one could ever succeed Kevin Sheedy and live up to the standards. And then you had James Hood nipping at his heels the whole time.
1: So, yeah, yeah, interesting points. And, and they're definitely points that have been made before. And it is hard to fill the boots of, of legends and people. People don't like to see the fall happen. You know that the, the kind of inevitable tip off the cliff it can sometimes happen when um, when a legend leaves the game and is replaced by a for for you know I guess lack of a better term an upstart manager or a upstart coach who's kind of new to the scene and and the, you know trying to make yeah. a name for themselves. Yeah, the the general
2: consensus i believe from what i've heard from one player who was in the 3p just said chris scott is a good coach not not doing anything wrong but then mark thompson was a great coach and again, you got that difference between being you know a yeah. good coach
1: but not a great yeah, just coach. like just like they've yeah, just like they've said in the past um you know that Geelong kind of wanted to go from a, being a good team to a great team
0: but the sentiment that i've heard from the one player that was willing to express this to me, was that that player had individual issues themselves with Chris Scott over their tenure. They're still playing at the moment. Um, yep. Yep. Mm. Anyway, well, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, it's a strange one because, yeah. Come the Kaji Greaves, come the announcements, will they be shadowed by another year? It could have been. Um, anyway, was it still in with a chance. Remember the 2016 year? Western Bulldogs came from nowhere, won it the same year that Cleveland came back from 3 1. Who was the other one? And that if you had in that multi, you would have been a millionaire? I can't even remember. That's strange. Uh, Leicester, sorry. That was it. The Leicester winning <laughs> premiere. Yeah. Premier.
1: Yeah. That, that so, was also
0: 5,000 to 1. 5,000 to 1. So, That's three fun. games. One game at a time. One game at a time. So, one game fair, play time. King, fair play to Ken Hinckley. Fair um, play to Ken Hinckley for getting this one in the bank at Adelaide, uh, getting the tackle game, the pressure game, and yeah, uh, on point. And preventing rebound fifties. Fair play to Ollie Wines, to Rocky, to ex-cat Stephen Motlop. I hate to say this. Fair cat Fair, fair cat. Fair play to Stephen Motlop and Jonas and Boke and, and Ebit and SPP. Fair play to them. Uh, not too many players to shout out apart from the ones that, or the very few that we have. Quick little debate. going me me Vizak again. Get your bo- get your get your boxing gloves on. All right, okay, uh-huh. it's finals, Zach. It's finals time. Um, now Port Adelaide hold Scott Laiset, great ruckman. Yeah, mm-hmm. not in the top four, obviously, but very good, very good ruckman. Yep. Uh, in addition to that, they hold Laddams. It's down four. They hold Dixon. We had. No centre-half ruck rotator, so Blitz was doing some work there. But we won the hit-outs with Reece Stanley and Blitz. Mm. I'm pulling the argument here again that I've gone down the track this season that, that key tap ruckman isn't as necessary as it was a decade ago. Oh, my go. Okay,
2: sorry. I was like, no. <laughs> uh, yeah. Is that right? <laughs> sorry, I, thought, I thought there was more breathing fire to come. Um, yeah, no, look, well, it's it's hard to argue against that. And I, and, I mean, look, full credit to Reece Stanley. I thought he had a really, a really, really solid game. And um, as I've said all along, I think he's he does have potential to be um, a good ruckman And, then, yeah, the, he certainly lowered the... The port ruckman's uh, colours, no doubt about that. Um, I'll be interested to see how we view this next year. Hopefully, hopefully, once we enter back into a regular home and away season, quarter lengths, and so on. I think the importance of the ruckman will just increase a little bit more. I'm still adamant we should go after a either a young developing ruckman, not not a dinosaur like Todd Goldstein, who's well and truly past us. Whether that's in the draft or some other way, whether Reece Stanley might want to mentor the young ruckman, who who knows? But I'm adamant we still do need a uh, bona fide ruckman. I'll spit it out, yeah, bona fide ruckman. So, but yeah, but look, if Reese Stanley can play every week and smash it like he did against Port Adelaide, happy to admit I'm wrong and good on him. Please keep
1: going, Reese. Yeah, if he's in good form. Please keep it going. I don't care who it is that's playing in certain positions. If we keep winning or if we keep you know, being around the mark and, and throwing the hat in the ring in finals and and getting close to, to a victory, if not obviously winning, ideally winning, then, you know... I think the That's biggest thing we I think the biggest thing we need
2: in a ruckman, I mean Stanley's mobile, he can go forward and he played some good footy for it, took some good marks, had some good shots at goal. We need a ruckman who can genuinely just give Rolls-Royce service to mid. You think of a ruckman like Matthew Clark at Adelaide, who would just every time would just have it straight to the player every time. Brad Alton's used to be good at that. So for me, I'm not as concerned about Mobility or floating forward. I just want a ruckman that's just literally there to do his job, and that's just to give lace out service to the mids because we've got a good midfield. You suspect more reinforcements would come in over the trade period as well. You want to
0: give it to them and give our forwards the best possible chance they can. But has that now changed in in twenty seventeen onwards twenty <clears throat> to twenty twenty, where if you look at say Melbourne, Max gone, one of the finest tap ruckmans in the competition to Clayton Oliver, Jack Viney, Harms, whoever you want to put in that mid, just to be tackled straight away. Is it more important, the contested ball on the ground?
1: For the follow-up work, you mean?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Is it more important to be a follow-up ruckman and to be able to do that? Maybe to to get on the ground and, and slap it a little bit or... To, to provide a tackle then to be a, just a genuine out-and-out out tap ruckman lace out to a player who's going to be tackled straight away as soon as they get it, unless they manage to just pretty much punch it 10, 15 metres or or get a kick away quickly if they can, which would be a, a low disposal, most likely. Hmm. Why can't you have both?
1: Yeah,
0: yeah well, I was, I was just about That's to say, I mean, yeah. In
2: the dream world, you'd have someone like a Brad Altons who would do both great follow-up work with Tab Ruckman. I mean, you'd say probably this year, if you had to pick one, you'd say the follow-up work, I think, given the shorter quarters, would be more important. But we'll wait and see. I mean, it's so hard to tell, as I said. I mean, the game evolves each year. If there's rule changes, that can change things up as well. So who knows? I I think, yeah, we have to wait and see.
0: Yeah. We want to talk about the pies, but just quickly, you mentioned all oh, before the draft picks and the caliber that we do have in the draft picks. The consensus here, uh, Zach, I know yep. you're you're keen to keep at the very least at least one of these first rounders because we will not see this amount of high quality draft picks. Again at July yep. for years and years to come.
2: I predict so, yeah. And I think um I mean you made a good point during the week and that with no VFL, you know, it can be a bit harder, but for me I'm not concerned about that. We've got we've got the best recruiter the AFL has ever seen. You give him those three first rounders and I back him in one hundred percent to get what
1: we need. Yeah, he's a he's a wizard. And as we know in Wells we trust, we say every year because the strike rate is just so high. He tends to find gems from relative obscurity, um, right, and bad right, close, Sorry, yes, exactly bad quotes. I was just about to say, um, and yeah, but he just finds them from, from frankly, nowhere. If he has higher picks and a higher or greater pool to select from. Then he's typically going to select some some high quality players. I know of recent seasons we haven't necessarily had you know a bevy of high picks, but we've um, managed to do well with the picks that we've had. And I know that on occasion he has like there has been a stumbling block of sorts with uh, with the higher picks. Uh, names come to mind like uh, Mitch Brown, Kane Ace, and uh, maybe one or two others that have just kind of missed the mark. But um, the, the strike rate—I'll go to the strike rate—and the strike rate is well and truly—you'd you'd think it's all yeah above eighty percent. Mm. These p you know, eight out of ten picks are absolute gems most of the time. Or you know or they stick around at the club, they're good clubmen and they um, you know contribute to culture um, and and help the team in, in in at least one way if not more. Glenn McGrath. Sorry, absolutely, money, you're back, yeah, yeah, you back him in. Yeah, I think, uh, him in. the opposite view
0: to be held would obviously be you got seriously high draft picks in a season where it's hard to view high quality Victorian talent, high quality New South Wales talent, aside from looking at the Sandfall there um, and some other states and territories. You look at the names being floated around for the draft calls this year and who we've been linked to, Brad Crouch, Sean Higgins, I think we're all in unison. We're a no. We're a big no to that, that we don't want big someone, regardless of how they're playing, just that age demographic in our team. Uh, yep. yep, we won't even go there. Same for Goldstein as well. Um, I think we're all in unison in there. But not. Um, Jeremy Cameron, Joe Danaher, and I think maybe more, even, more will even be linked. There's Obviously, the fringe players like again we've talked about it, but cockatoo, Quinton Narkle, uh, players like Sam Simpson running out of contracts, or Constable maybe seeking greater playing time elsewhere, and that's the frustration with Jack Stephen this year, as you as you greatly pointed out Zach previously, that he's actually held one of those players back who would have been playing. Whether it be Sam, Sam Simpson directly in addition to potentially Quinton or um, for all we know, Francis Evans, who we haven't seen yet. So yeah. when you do have this bevy, do you go in for a Jez Cameron? Do you go in for, looks like we'll be getting a midfielder, Brad Crouch sealed and done? Or the new reports suggest Sean Higgins and are pressing towards them. Yeah, we're all against. We wouldn't want Sean Egan's on the panel here. So you do have this huge amount of picks. How do you weigh this up between going down the going down the draft versus going down the trade? Yep.
1: Well, um, look, I think you could you could make the argument that uh, if you had the opportunity to get someone like. Jeremy Cameron, you would. If you had, if you had someone like uh, Brad Crouch for his footballing ability, um, you know, putting aside everything that's happened um, of of late, um, you know, players make mistakes. Yeah, that's that's and, Adelaide's uh, problem.
0: It's not Geelong's
1: problem. It's, it's Adelaide's. It's Adelaide's, it's Adelaide's problem. Brad. That happened yeah. while he was with Adelaide. It's not necessarily a Geelong issue. Um yeah. So. Uh, on pure football ability, yeah. Um, and the other one would be, I would entertain, um, would be Jack Viney. But... Um, for a first round pick, Jack Viney? No way. Look, not for a first round pick, but he, like... Would you really entertain maybe, him though? Maybe. Maybe. Um, it's a It's a... It's a if I was going to bring, because you know, you know that they're going to ask for a first-round pick. Melbourne would ask for a first-round pick for for a player that's been a former captain and you know is probably considered one of their more important midfielders. You'd think about it, but I don't think you'd necessarily pull the trigger. The only one you'd pull the trigger on, the only one you would definitely pull the trigger on, I think, would be Jeremy Cameron. Um, and highly likely, you'd probably do the same with. Uh, Brad uh, Crouch and maybe Viney but the others um, the others are are, you know really he nor their kind of calls and as you're saying Zach and as I've said you don't want to waste the picks because we're not going to necessarily have Uh, a war chest of of this magnitude in seasons to come. Hopefully, hopefully we don't. Hopefully we're relevant for an extended period.
2: You don't have to choose one or the other. You are able to balance both. I think for me, we should be doing around 60, 40, 70, 30, let's say 60, 40, 60% looking to the future slightly, given our age demographic, the next two or three years, we're going to have a few going out and 40% looking for the now. I'm, purely basing on everyone we've been linked to. The only one I'm giving up any of those first-round picks for is Jeremy Cameron. Jeremy Cameron, if we had to part ways of that pick 11 for him, I'm happy to do that. 27, right in his prime, proven goal kick, a new environment. I'm happy to do that. Brad Crouch, with everything that's happened, I'd be leaning towards, no, you know Adelaide are going to play hardball with that. I don't yeah, think we need really. Jack Viney in our midfield at all, to be honest. But, of course, you would entertain the offer. Yes, But no doubt, Brad Crouch, Adelaide will play hardball. They know what they want. They're not really going to back down on that. And to be the bearer of bad news, I did let both of you know during the week from a very reliable source at the New Town Footy Club, I can say with a great deal of certainty that Sean Higgins probably will be a cat for the next, I reckon, two years is going to be the contract. And from all reports, he's desperate to come back to Geelong and wants to finish up his career at Geelong.
0: Very highly likely, from what I'm hearing. Interesting. So I am hearing from Kangaroo fans that the age demographic doesn't matter for for Sean Higgins because he doesn't. He's extremely, extremely fit. Covers a lot of ground. Is still has that acceleration burst of speed. Is one of probably the finest assets, if not the finest asset that they hold. Well, second to Goldie. Being an all Australian recently, um, but at the same time, that age demographic is just the thing that pulls you back. Irrelevant. Yeah,
2: um, it does. We fielded one of the oldest teams yeah. ever on the weekend. When we tried. Right. I think that the shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. The oldest team. Look, if they had have come to us one or two years ago with Goldstein and Higgins, I would have taken it 30, 31 for maybe a two-year deal, three at the most. I would have taken it. But one year's a long time. We don't need players who are 32, 33 years of age. We're past that. I mean, do we want to be a club like Carlton and Melbourne that overestimate our list, thinking we're, you know, right in the window when maybe we won't be? we want to go down that road of being a laughing stock like a Melbourne or, you know, a Carlton. Probably not. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> if we could avoid it, that would be nice. So, you know, you gotta think really, really carefully. And i and I mean as I've said, I mean Jack Stevens and Sean Higgins are very different players, but even if it does only cost you not one of those first round picks, you need to think further ahead again. Well, we might get two good years out of Sean Higgins all well and good. But who are we going to be holding back during that time? What if that's a good young player that maybe comes out of contract? Could they do a chook or a knock and see greener pasture? So, when that two year stint's done, who have we got left to take over? So, you, you've got to have a good heart thinking about it.
1: Yeah, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul, and it's, it's something that uh, certainly needs to be. It can't be a slapdash decision, and we can't be too sentimental, although I do have a feeling that we we may be that uh with players that have you know previously been linked to the Geelong region. Hmm.
0: Yeah the the come home factor is massive. Rowan, Dalhouse, Hendo, I'm forgetting some here, but I'm just listing some at the top of the of of the tongue that have um included in that 22. danger, Ablet five there. I'm sure there's more that I've missed out on, but I'm just rolling it off there. Um, just to quickly note before we get on to what we really want to talk about now, which is a semi-final up against uh, the Magpies. Not at the MCG. Thank you. The AFLW draft is Tuesday at 7 pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. Really interesting what we have here. In terms of picks, we've got pick 10, which is great, as the first rounder, two or three second rounders, pick 20, 21, 27, in the third round, 39, and that's it. So, yeah, some high draft picks there. Really interesting to see how that goes. Um, and what types of players that we do pick whether if we do get go down i guess for instance the uh the Geelong Falcon Road picking up the likes of, of Laura Gardner so or at at, at the same time um oh, gee, I I'd love nothing more than S- Stephanie Williams from uh OGC Alumni who's coached by Olivia Purcell there to be picked and noting her story and one of the one of the four NT players in the in the draft to get selected by Geelong being in the in the Geelong region. So it'll be interesting after Kate Darby's not playing for this season, obviously, with the expected baby in March. So we'll see what happens there. Very, very interesting. So keep a watch out for that. And you may be listening to this after the draft has happened. Um, but, yeah, definitely keep an eye out there because that's been one of the Cadenia Park... Well, that has been the Cadinia Park highlight in 2020. Watching the AFLW in the stands there, unfortunately, we haven't been able to for AFL. Look at that progression and, and, and look at it grow. Let's get on to the juicy stuff. There's a semi-final ahead. It's not played at the MCG, as I said previously, and it's against a long term nemesis in Collingwood i just before get on to anything else i'm sick and tired of the carry on about mason cox he had six disposals and coxilla comes back come <laughs> on oh um,
1: three goals in 4 minutes
0: yeah six disposals are six disposals <laughs> And you're against one of the better tall opposition teams. Now, Zach, what do we do here? Come selection. Joel Selwood looks like he's touch and go. Uh, Jack Stevens is out after the scratch match with some hamstring issues there. The ones that are pressing from the match report there or Quinton had a breakout game, snagged a couple. Sam Simpson, oh, head of your fan club, played a great game there. Um, the likes of Jenkins, Sav played as well, along with Close. Even though I thought it was interesting that Sav, along with Close, uh, Zach Guthrie, maybe not, so wasn't mentioned in the the actual report by the Cats. They were photographed and those were published, but the post game wash up didn't mention them at all. So I'm not <laughs> sure whether that means that Sav doesn't really. Look like he's in, and Jenkins maybe is maybe is favored, or I'm reading way too much into that there <laughs> a scratch match report yeah, yeah,
3: look
2: who yeah oh look who knows um I think we've got to bring a genuine center half forward in, whether that's sab or Jenkins. I'd personally favor radical radically much more over Jenkins just for that accountability, as I've said numerous times um I think he adds a total. Totally new dimension of the forward line. And I think we we need him in there badly. I think we missed him this week. Um, I, I'd be getting Narkel in. I don't think Jordan Clark will play, but I'd be getting one of those two in. A, because Collingwood are a quick team. And I think we lacked a bit of pace last week. Um don't think if it was me. I'd be considering Jordan Clark for a halfback, maybe a wing, a bit of dash. Certainly Narkel can play on the wing. We've got to add a bit of flair, a bit of speed. It's do or die now. We we need to try something different. Didn't work last week. Different opponent, granted, but we got to try something a bit different. I'd be nervous yeah. if I was Myers. I don't think he'll be dropped, as you said, Roe, for that continuity. I think he'll remain, but he'd want to have a much better game. Jack Henry, he'd better grow some eyes in the back of his head so he can stop getting these brain yeah. fades, but he'd want to yeah. have a better game as well. I don't think he'll be dropped. I think he's he can earn one little slip-up and he's okay. Um, But I think there'd be one or two changes. As much as I agree with the fact that when Selwood came in, the midfield did actually look a bit functional. But clearly when your captain's available, you're going to play him. So hopefully he
1: plays. I think an important factor for Geelong and the way that they play, obviously, the the game plan, typically. Uh, The fact that we're playing at the Cabba, will have an impact on the game, I would anticipate, uh, because it's a smaller ground and possibly easier to defend and congest, which we like to do. Um, and, but I also concur with uh, your points, Zach, in that we're going to have to bring some youth into the team and there's going to have to be some extra speed and we're going to have to be a bit more accountable and not make the blaring errors with our awareness when it comes to finals. Uh because pressure comes from all angles, especially in finals. So oh, look, it's gonna be hot in the kitchen from, you know, the first five minutes. Yeah. Oh, and look, and so, yeah, sorry to
2: interrupt. The fact that the youth factors are relevant. If we had a forty year old in there who was quick, I'd be playing him, it's all about that speed. We need a bit more run. whomever that yep. comes from
0: me and Sav Sam Simpson for the run. but purely like him more as an outside player than Quinton Knarkle. That's why I'm saying him, because realistically, if you if you've seen the fourth quarter and you're seeing the likes of Atkins and other players getting played in in the center, then yeah, maybe not Quinton Knuckle, even though he had a stand that game in a scrimmage match. Sam Simpson, he's had one game back in the scrimmage match, but look, it's finals. If he's ready to go, if he's happy, he's feeling it, and put him in. I'd just do a straight swap, um, Selwood for Sav, actually. And I'm actually, I'm not sure how we create that outside run. I've had problems with Zach Tilly all season. People have um, been against me on that, but his positioning. Um, if you are a half forward flanker, provide goals or inside fifties. Um, it, it, it seems he to be... Here. Oh, he'll obviously play. He
3: he'll he'll, he'll obviously
0: play. But I've just had issues yeah. with him this season and I'm going with the... um, I guess from his injuries since they started at the start of last season. I'm not sure whether that means you drop another defender, whether you drop Kola Jasny, Looking at their squad now, when Mason Cox plays, yeah, I think that's pretty fine and easy to to nullify him, Degoey, uh, Brady check and then you've Go got, the one. Yeah. Jamie the Elliott one. and some, some other, uh, quick fleeted players up forward. So, Jamie Elliott. There. Yeah. Ja- Jamie Elliott. So I guess there's three key forwards and then some small fleet footed players there. It, um, yeah. So it's going to be hard. We can speculate as much as we want, but i just share the exact same sentiments as Zach there. So whether this reverts to uh, a Scott argument down the line, yeah, I think you do need changes after that game. And Sav presents one there. Um, Fair play to the, the upcoming opposition. Let's be honest to them. They showed it against West Coast. Good midfielders there. Obviously, with the likes of Pendles, Taylor Adams, et cetera, still side bottoms not playing in the hub, but down back as well with the likes of Maynard, Darcy Moore, all Australian this year. So, yeah, a really, a really good site. It'd be interesting, though, outside of Victoria and outside of the 95,000 Collingwood fans how, how we do play and if we are able to get back to whether that be controlling the ball. Um, final words there, boys? Do you wanna finish on the there? Not kill a cat. <laughs> Bruce McAvaney referencing <laughs> Ben Jones as a good hobbit.
1: Oh anyway, that's mine. Done. I <laughs> uh, just I'm very much hopeful that, that uh Hawkins can clean up his kicking a little bit and not rush the opportunities that he has. And like Zach made mention of just the awareness of Jack Henry could do with some work and hopefully fixes that up. Uh, look,
2: we're, we're the experts at winning semifinals unfortunately so I think we're going to win this one as well against Collingwood and look, just for Bruce, I got some terrifying news. Bruce apparently wants to Ruined my favourite sporting event of all time, which is Bathurst, coming up in a few weeks. It's been 30 years since he's won and only commentary stint there. Bruce, please don't come back. It was the worst race (laughs) ever. Please don't come back and ruin this one. Give it up,
3: please. Go Cats. Go Cats. Go Cats.